lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul. I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you. I went wandering. Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. -face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Whether you're watching on the national NRB network, DirecTV channel 378, or if you're listening on radio KUTR AM 820, The Truth, we welcome you. I'm standing here next to the lovely Vanessa, just turned 11 years old in August, and uh, she actually even called the show not long ago, didn't you? Yeah, she's a very delightful young lady. She has some interesting uh, taste in, in uh, music and things. She was sharing that with me before we started. Is there anything you'd like to say to your good friend, the giraffe? Um, I just want to let all the Mormons know <laughs> that, um, that we love you and we're not here to attack you. We're here to tell you the truth. Awesome job. Good job. From the mouth of babes. Thanks so much, Vanessa. You know, not everyone can watch Heart of the Matter on television. Some of you have to go to the archives at www.hotm.tv. Others check out the YouTube clips, which are all over the place. You can also watch Heart of the Matter live streaming video from anywhere in the world. So you can tell your friends to go to www.hotm.tv, click on streaming video, and they can see it. I was a born-again Mormon. Moving Toward Christian Authenticity is a book that we... Uh, hope you will consider reading or giving to your LDS friends. Uh, it is not like this television show. It's just kind of a, uh, uh, an insight into what the differences are between Mormonism and Christianity without the entertaining, biting edge that the show sometimes has. The book is available at bornagainmormon.com, www.utlm.org, Christian Gift and Bible, and Lifeway Christian Bookstores. There's nothing more important to the growth of a Christian than really getting into studying the Word of God. And uh, we invite you to supplement your understanding of God's Word by joining our weekly verse-by-verse -verse Bible study at the University of Utah held on Sunday afternoons. Go to calvarycampus.com for more information like times and directions if you want to join us this Thursday, September 9th at Weber State University in Ogden. God Uncomplicated is partnering with Weber State University's InterVarsity Christian Fellowship to uh, launch Ignite the Heart, a back-to-school rally. I'll be one of the guest speakers to kick off their academic year. The event is open to all college-age people. It begins at 8 p.m. Go to GodUncomplicated.com to get more information and how to register. It's free, but they just want to get your name on there. And save this date. You ready? Those of you in the Idaho, uh, Twin Falls, Idaho area, save this date, October 6th. It's a Wednesday, 7 p.m., Next week, we'll give you more information about what's going to be happening. But if you're in the Idaho uh, Twin Falls area, uh, within an hour drive or whatever, uh, even further, uh, save that date, October 6, 7 p.m. On Saturday of last week, we held our fifth annual Burning Heart event. 
I would suggest it was one of the best we've had as it was quite peaceful and relaxed, full of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Adams Road was wonderful as usual, and the night culminated with 21 people publicly committing to the Lord Jesus Christ through water baptism. Uh, our good friend Sean Larson's photographic genius helped us uh, come up with some, capture some images, and Cassidy put them together in this video, so let's take a look.
And with that, let's have a prayer. Dear God in heaven, we need you to calm our hearts and fill us with your love. Uh, help our volunteers and those who are participating, those who are watching here in the audience and out there in uh, the world who are seeking truth. We pray you will uh, help me articulate these things, say what you want me to say, and help people to forget the mistakes I make and the things I do which are not of you. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've covered a lot of alphabetized topics this year, 35 to date, all of them significant to the Mormon Christian debate. Tonight we're going to speak about a topic that is perhaps most greatly understood the world over uh, than almost any other. Uh, what makes it difficult to properly address are its many facets and its universal applications and then what it really amounts to in the life of a true Christian. The topic, love. Everyone on earth has some sort of interaction with love. We call it love when we feel a strong affinity toward a person or toward even an object. We feel loved by people around us. Hollywood portrays its version of love as a highly charged, intensely romantic, even magically seductive aura of feelings and emotions. Anyone who's investigated the term love from a biblical perspective knows that there are a number of different types of love found in Scripture. There's the storge, there's the eros, there's the phileo, all these, uh, all these types of love the Greeks used. The New Testament uses a Greek term for love that wasn't around during the classic Greek time. The classic Greek period was when Plato and Socrates, Aristotle, 400 BC around that time. That's the classic Greek period. Well, the New Testament uses a Greek term that didn't exist back then. And that is a word uh, for love that is agape. Now, in what Christians often call the love chapter in the Bible, uh, which is located in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we find a great explanation of this word agape. Uh, in this chapter, the King James Version, though, calls agape love charity. Um, this is really not a good word for us English-speaking people today because charity has taken on all sorts of philanthropic ideals and is often more associated with giving. Uh, so even those who really love will give, not all people who give really love. So why was charity used here when uh, every time the word agape shows up in uh, scripture? Charity is a transliteration of the Latin word charis. Because there was no classic Greek origin for the, the new kind of new Greek word agape, when the King James translators looked at that word agape and they knew it wasn't a classic Greek word, they went to the Latin to search for an equivalent. And they found it in this word charis. And so every time they read agape in the Greek manuscript, they wrote charity, which is the English translation for charis. Um, and as things go, that word was subsequently taken by the world, so to speak, and it was applied to giving and, and charitable organizations. This, that word is used that way. So again, while truly charity, a truly charitable heart does give and help, the word means much, much, much more. To determine or detect real agape love in a person 
is probably almost as difficult to determine if a person has real faith. Certainly the actions people take are indicative of the presence of genuine agape love, but even magnificent works of apparent charity can be very misleading. How can I say that? Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, 23, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. So God makes a giant uh, distinction between things that we think are all the same. We humans look at each other and we see us doing certain things and we think, oh, they have faith. Oh, they have love. But God knows the difference between someone who's doing many wonderful works and it's not originating from a source of love and someone who is doing wonderful works and it is originating from a source of love. There's, I've been thinking about this. There's such a difference between people who are nice versus people who are truly kind. There's just a difference. Um, there's a difference between giving out of duty and giving from the heart. There's a difference between people who obey rules and people who uh, have relationship and obey in the relationship out of love. God sees those differences when we as human beings can't. In the Mormon Christian debate, it is vital to examine genuine agape love through a biblical lens and avoid the more humanist applications of love like romance and charitable giving and wonderful outward works. In our attempt to see if there is in fact a difference between the ways biblical Christians love and the way Mormons love. That's what I'm going to try to attempt to do tonight. And while I have personally met many LDS people I think embody agape love, I would say when comparing the love Mormonism generates to the love devout Christianity generates, we speak of two very different kinds of love. So let me try to explain that. First, genuine agape love thrives in the biblical doctrine of grace. Uh, and it dies when doctrines of works and law are added to it. Last week in our uh, alphabetical topic, it was the law. The Bible makes it uh, manifestly clear that as Christians, we die to the law. Why? Because the law ought to serve to reveal our sin and then lead us to Christ as the solution to that sin. Placed before our face, people generally respond in one of two ways to the law when it's placed before them. They look at it and they say, wow, I am obedient. I am a good person, and then in their mind, somewhere along the line, they might even say, I'm better than a lot of others. They might say, I obey when that person doesn't, okay? And the other response is one of rebellion. They look at the law and they say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to obey those rules. Both responses are antithetical. Both responses are in opposition to agape love, both pride and rebellion. Because of the legalisms Mormonism employs and uh, desires from its members, including their dress standards and their tithings and their Sabbath day observances and their being temple worthy, etc., etc., going so far as to call those things laws, uh, they 
they produce the opposite of agape love in the hearts of their members. When you introduce law into the lives of people religiously, it creates the opposite of agape love in the hearts of members. You want to witness a really an amazing societal uh, contradistinction firsthand, which I believe exists because of Mormon legalism in many ways. Get up early on any given Sunday morning and drive through downtown Salt Lake City. Uh, at 6 a.m., the homeless shelters boot out their people and they got to get out there and start living their life for the day. And in many ways, those homeless people represent rebellion against law. They're the mavericks. They refuse to conform. They're not going to join in. And they're just kind of, that's just, if you meet enough homeless people, they really don't want to conform too much. And then on the other side of the street, as it were, you can also see the most faithful of the LDS up early in the morning. The rest of the street's empty. And, and they are faithful to the law, and they're migrating on foot and in their cars uh, toward their religious destinations for the morning. And I've observed the interplay between these two groups for years. Um, a few months ago, I watched a street person approach an LDS man dressed in the suit and shirt and tie walking into Temple Square quickly. And I, I sat at a light, and I didn't have anything else to do but watch him. And, and I watched the homeless man approach the LDS man, and he stiffly rejected the, this LDS man's request for money. And then as the LDS man left and went into Temple Square, the, uh, the bum flipped the guy off at his back. So what we have there was both men lacking in agape love, uh, one due to pride and the other due to rebellion. And uh, neither acted as Christ did. Now, what did Jesus say about this love that both should have in one way or another exhibited? He said in Matthew 5, 43, 46, Ye have heard it been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. For if you love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same. So if we're dead to the law, what do we obey? Jesus said in John 13, 34, 35, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another, listen to this, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love, agape love, one for another. In many ways, laws and the law, other than this new commandment Jesus gave, crushes a person's ability to fulfill the new higher uh, directive from our king. A person cannot live by both grace and works and love as Jesus loved. It's, it's impossible. It's impossible to live by law and love. There can't be liberty in Christ and bondage to rules. It's a contradiction. One reason is that laws written in stone produce fear in all those who observe them. And the human response to fear is usually um, uh, fear that we will never measure up, we're never going to make it, or fear that we are already in big trouble and so we, it just produces uh, just inability to act or function. 
What does scripture say? 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. Fear is brought on by law. And so when, you're, when you have a law and you're breaking that law, you are fearful of being caught. You're fearful of the punishment. You're fearful you're not always going to be able to obey the laws properly if they're placed before you. And it, and it is absolutely opposite of the love that should exist in the Christian heart. Now imagine that you're married to a rule-making despot. And this guy, we're going to say it's the guy because usually they're the ones who like the rules. And this guy says, you must be worthy of my love, dear wife. You must be worthy of it. In fact, you have to be worthy to live in the mansion I'm going to build up in the mountains as a resort getaway for our family. You have to be worthy to live in that mansion. All right. Now, how would you respond to being married to a, a spouse like that? You would either live in fear of failing his demands uh, which is called bondage, you're dominated all the time, or you would rebel against him and his rules and tell him to go hang himself, you know, and walk away, which is rebellion, or you might even try to um, proudly match his demands and show that you can compete, which ultimately, if you're able to do that over a course of years, is going to produce a new, this, this pride. You know, so you just can't win when you're living under somebody saying you have to perform in order to be loved and accepted by me. This is not what Jesus offers or expects, my friends. Second Peter 1.7, listen to what it says. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And this only comes by our first being unconditionally loved and accepted as we have been by Jesus, okay? Which brings us to another point of why Mormonism does not produce love, agape love, in its members' hearts. The LDS view of who Jesus is, what he did for us, and our inability to ever be worthy of his free, unencumbered gift makes possessing true agape love much more difficult for them, if not entirely impossible. You see, Ephesians 3, 17, 19 says, it suggests that Christ may dwell in our hearts by faith. First of all, Mormons don't believe Christ can dwell in your hearts, but scripture says it, that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which pass, passes knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Listen, this is a bold statement, but it is absolutely biblical and true. I stand by it completely. Nobody on this earth, not the Dalai Lama, not Thomas S. Monson, nobody can truly fulfill the new commandment to love with agape love if they have not first experienced, first experienced the real love Jesus has for them. 1 John 4, 19 makes it plain. It says, we love him because he first loved us. When we realize his worth to us, only then can we love as he loved, okay? It empowers you to love when you saw that he loved you completely, openly, in your sin, without merit or worth. 
when you know he loved you that way, you then have the ability to love others that way. Uh, this passage and all I am trying to share is illustrated perfectly in a story found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. It seems a very legalistic religious leader named Simon invited Jesus to have food with him at his home and Jesus accepted the invitation. And while they were sitting there, uh, chapter 7 verse 37, it says, And behold, a woman in the city which was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. And uh, this woman was not living a good life. This woman was filthy in sin. But what did she do? Being filthy in sin, she goes, and it says, verse 38, and stood at his feet behind him, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spoke within himself and said, This man, meaning Jesus, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this was that touched him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto you. And Simon said unto him, Master, say on. And Jesus tells a very simple and a very short story. He says this, There was a certain creditor which had two debtors. And one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And Jesus said to him, Thou hast rightly judged. We are given a new commandment by Jesus, and that is to love. To love. And here Jesus tells us exactly who will fulfill the commandment best? Listen to this. Those who have the most sin. I know, it's radical. It's hard to hear. Paul later addresses that that doesn't mean we go out and sin purposely. But it does mean that those who have sin and the most sin recognize what Jesus is to them and that humility brings them to love him more for what he's done. The law and obeying it and becoming perfected in your own flesh removes Jesus from the picture more and more, which is why Mormonism is so detrimental to the relationship that you can have with Christ. Jesus came, my friends, to save sinners. Within Mormonism, Jesus rarely saves because generally speaking, the faithful members do not see their sin. They're too busy masking it by their obedience to the laws, which only brings pride. And get this, because they don't see their deep and total need and reliance on Jesus as a result of their sin, they love little and therefore do not truly fulfill his new commandment to love much in the way he wants us to love, which was as he loved. Okay. Verse 44, and Jesus turned to the woman and said, Simon, see thou this woman, I entered thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman has anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. What does this describe, folks? In our day and age of religion, who is Jesus 
himself speaking of sinners, sinners saved by grace. Last two, three verses. And Jesus said unto her, thy sins are forgiven thee. And they that sat at meat said unto him, uh, began to say within themselves, who is that this that forgiveth sins also? And Jesus said to the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. You see, the simple story from the word of God perfectly lays out the beautiful gospel of Jesus Christ and how it literally, literally plays out in the life of people. Like the woman in the story, sinful people recognize their awful state and their total inability to do anything about it. And then like the woman, they see Jesus for who he is and the only source for their salvation. And because they see that he first loved them, they are then able to love him back with the same love that he loved them. And then they are able to love others in the same way. Remember, the acts themselves, the many wonderful works are meaningless in and of themselves if they aren't motivated, driven, promoted by a knowledge of who he is and what he did for us. Get it? Then when we really see Jesus as the solution to our salvation, that it is by him and him alone and not of anything of ourselves, we are then made wholly free and at liberty to love all. And I mean everybody, everybody without exception or qualification. That's agape love. That's the kind of love that 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. That love is how Jesus loved, and that's how he says us, tells us to love with this new commandment. As I have loved you, I mean, I loved you as a reprobate, Sean McCraney. Jesus said, I loved you when you were steeped in sin. I loved you when you were making mistakes. I love you unconditionally, and I gave my life for you in that state. Now that you recognize that about me and my person towards you, you go and love the same. That means we don't, we don't look to see if someone's measuring up when we give them our love. We don't say, well, you didn't pay the debt back to me. I can't love you. We don't say you smell like smoke or cigarettes or you're an alcoholic or you're a prostitute or you're a homosexual or you have, uh, do these other things that we don't like. But we never, ever say we don't love you. We don't embrace you. You're not part of, and that Jesus loves you and he saved you. Never. Do you get that? But when you bring in law and rules to make yourself righteous, all of that goes away and you don't love the way Christ wants you to. This law causes us to place limitations on our love to calculate the merit and worthiness of people, to give only if they deserve it, to forgive them only if they apologize, to love only if they're lovable. Listen, it is grace that allows us to be good. The law can't do it. Being recipients of his grace then moves us to love and serve God as God loved and served us unconditionally. It's not without purpose that Jesus, in the telling of the story of the Good Samaritan, that it was a priest and a Levite who walked uh, past the beaten man while a vile Samaritan stopped and helped him. Again, evidence of agape love. Now, a common comeback we hear, and we're going to wrap this up, from the LDS is that, and it really isn't a comeback at all, is that if a person really loves, if a person is really a Christian, he or she will keep the commandments. That's what they say. And then they provide a laundry list of what commandments they say Jesus gave us. I want you to know this is, this is I'm going to really summarize quickly with some scriptures of the commandments. You ready? 1 John 5, 23. By this we know that we love the, 
children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. You got that? For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. You got that? And this and his commandments, listen, are not grievous. They're not burdened. Latter-day Saints frequently say that we have to keep his commandments and then they load them on your back like bales of hay upon an infant, you know? And, and it's, the, the commandments are not grievous, okay? For example, in just one of their temple rites, they uh, bind their people to um, donating all of their time, all of their talents, everything they have physically been blessed with up to that point and everything they will materially be blessed with after that point to the building up of the Mormon church. That is something they are bound by covenant to do. That is a grievous commandment. It is not from Christ. What are Christ's commandments? Let me finish. 1 John 3, 22, 23. Read this, folks. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Belief and love. That's it. Those are his commandments. One more, John 5, 10, 12. Ready? If you keep my commandments, Jesus said this himself, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I loved you. You got that? That's it. Those are the commandments. You believe on him and you love in return. Under this fall all the laws and the prophets. We're going to end with that. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-8820, 801-973-TV20. First time callers, if possible, LDS, uh, please turn down your TV sets. We're going to run a spot for our partners program. When we come back, we'll take your calls, read some emails, go from there. All right, grab a pencil. Just grab something to write with. Um, we have tried to do this spot several times. I don't even know what time of day it is anymore. I've been sitting here so long. And, but what we want to tell you is Heart of the Matter has been blessed greatly in trying to reach people with the message of Jesus Christ, especially those who are in the LDS Church. We contend for the faith each and every week for five years. We have hundreds of programs. And by the grace of God, the fruit has been plentiful and we're seen all over the world. But this medium that we've chose, chosen called TV is very expensive and we need you to help us stay on the air. So there are ways that you can do it and we want you to partner with us. That's what we're asking you to do. So write this phone number down, 888-868-4686. You can also go online. You can go to www.hotm.tv or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. Again, let me give you that information. You can call us at 888-868-4686. You can sign up to be a partner by going online at hotm.tv. Or you can write us at Aletheia Ministries, 4760 Highland Drive, number 515, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84117. The Lord has taken this in spite of the host, in spite of the technical inability for me to get this partner's program down right. But we need you, and if he inclines your heart and you're interested, please contact us and help us keep the program on the air. God bless you. Wanda from, uh, I think, Boise says, simple answer to explaining the Trinity. 
A finger has three joints. Each joint has its own office or job, but it's still one finger. <laughs> and uh, I haven't really given it much thought, but for some reason this makes me laugh. And if you can think if that works or doesn't work, feel free to call in and tell us why. It'll give us some more thought. Let's go to uh, Brent and Murray. He's LDS. He's a first-time caller. Brent, you're on uh, Heart of the Matter. Brent from Murray, Utah. Brent? We lost Brent, darn it. I was looking forward to it. We're going to go to Kelly in Salt Lake City, Utah. Kelly, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hello, Kelly. Um, I, 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 have, I was raised a Christian. Um, I never got to know Jesus Christ uh, or read the Bible until three months ago, so I accepted Jesus Christ into my life, and I'm a baby Christian now. The thing I have to ask you is, I heard last Thursday night that um, on April 8th, 9th, and 10th, that in this temple down here, temple in Salt Lake City, that they baptized Jesus Christ for the dead. Um, and I am so upset hearing that uh, because I love Jesus so much. Yeah. I, I love him so much. I cried for two days after I heard that. Oh, don't cry. Oh, uh, but it's a horrible thing. Let me make a comment on that, okay? Please. And uh, please don't mention where you heard that, okay? I'm not gonna, I won't. Okay, I'm not going to mention where I've heard that information about the baptisms for the dead either. But yes. you, to be fair, we have to be fair. Yes. First of all, baptism for the dead is a ridiculous practice. Absolutely. The, the Mormons are culpable for the things that go on. But the Mormon church is not doing those baptisms for Jesus Christ. The Mormon church is not saying, okay, let's do this uh, for these certain people it's members of the church who are sneaking in probably people who are enemies of the church and they're submitting names so that those names slip through and get done and so I don't really I don't really stand by the person who is making kind of their big uh, career off pointing out all the all the names that have been uh, submitted because it's the individual members who go and they get all that done kind of secretly. Now, the LDS Church should have some kind of safeguard, but, you know, it probably just said the guy's name was Jesus. I doubt very much that they went through the temple for the name Jesus Christ. No, it wasn't through. Jesus Christian, Christian was his name. So, you know, right. this, this person who's kind of making a name about all this, they spend an exorbitant amount of time finding in the records what vicarious work has been done in the temple. But I just want to make it clear on the Mormon half, and I really don't like yeah. doing this, but yeah. it's not the Mormon church doing it. And okay. I think it's a cheap shot. And the reason I'm defending is calling it a cheap shot is because it lessens our effectiveness when we hit them with the real McCoy. Yeah. Because nobody believes the real McCoy. So right. that's, that's what I have to say. Don't shed any tears over it, Kelly. The uh, whole thing's bunk anyway. Jesus doesn't, even if it was in his name, he's not uh, crying over it. He's just no, probably laughing his head off. He's not dead. The thing is, my in-laws, uh, which I unfortunately married into a Mormon family three years ago, I, they baptized for the dead. Every Thursday they're down there doing that. And that was, you know, I was really wow over that but I, I thank you so much boy you've really eased my my heart thank Th you thanks thank Kelly God bless thank you God bless you bye bye 
Uh, we are going to Carl, line three, from uh, Chicago, Illinois. Carl? Yeah, this is Carl. You're on the air. I'm Southern Illinois. How you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing well. You're on the air, my friend. All right. Uh, yeah, I was wanting to uh, ask a few questions. Yeah. Tonight, um, used to be a used to be a Mormon up until the age of 13 years old. Uh huh. And I had a had a, a conversion at at around 14 years old. I had went to a church of my aunt's and uh, found out that this Mormon religion was uh, pretty messed up. And even as a even as a young child, I knew that. Uh, there was something wrong with it, yeah. and uh, didn't really believe, didn't really believe anything about it, um, okay. even as a child. Um, uh, I felt as though I was being brainwashed, as, as, even as a child, with them uh, trying to pray uh, with us as, as kids and tell us that Joseph Smith was a true prophet, and and uh, they they make you say these prayers, and and even as a child uh, growing up, you know, it's just something that. It said so much that eventually you get brainwashed yeah. into, into thinking, yeah, uh, thinking that kind of stuff. And um, you know, I have a lot of my whole mother side of the family are, are Mormons. And ever since I've been posting your videos up on my Facebook site, I've been I've been uh, kind of subject to uh, a lot of a lot of criticism, which is fine because that uh, that's okay with me. Um, but. I really wanted to say that I, I love your uh, website, and uh, it's just it is just awesome. And, Thanks so uh, much, appreciate, Carl. Appreciate all that you do. Um, wanted to ask you. I, I mentioned to my mother about the archaeological ev evidence there not being any. Yeah. Can you give me some insight on that. Well, there's just not. Uh, the, uh, they they the the LDS apologists and farms and those guys who who. Uh, make their living out of defending the faith of, of an empty bag, they'll say things like, well, we saw a footprint, you know, in the mud near uh, Tetrakawapalu, and it, it looks like uh, it could have possibly been from, you know, an ancient Nephite, you know? And, and they just do all this supposition. But unlike the Bible, where we have, you know, an actual Jerusalem, and we have an actual Bethlehem, and we have, right. you know, these places, there is nothing, not one single thing. The Hill Cumorah, which was for years and years, hundreds of years, hundred years, uh, called the place where the great battle took place. There's not a sword head. There's not a spearhead. There's not a coin. There's not a bone. I mean, why doesn't the LDS church go and unearth the Hill Cumorah and show us the artifacts? Because it's a myth. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, exactly. you know, I got an email from Mexico, and uh, this guy says I'm a Christian and uh, I have a friend who's Mormon. And we've read that there's absolutely no physical evidence for the Book of Mormon. But I've also read that there is. You go online, and there's actually Latter-day Saints who build these entire sites. And, they, you know, you click on it, and these pictures show up of, like, the ancient ruins of the, of the Mayan Indians. And they'll say, you know, ancient site of the Book of Mormon. It's right. so deceptive. There is none. Yeah. The Smithsonian I'm came out, and they issued an official letter. There is none that we know of. Yeah, my mom just told me the other night to get on Nephi Project. Uh, I was trying to send her some of your videos, and she's not commented back because there's so much truth to what you say. She she just, she has nothing to say to me, and uh, she told me to get on the Nephi Project. The Nephi and, uh, Project. Look at that. That's quite a project. That's what, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, wow. 
Yeah, that's, hey, that's really, for sure. Really appreciate your call, Carl. God bless you out there in Illinois. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye-bye. We are going to Bill in Salt Lake City, Utah. First-time caller. Bill, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, I've got uh, a little bit of convicting I'd like to do to you. Not any condemning, but you mentioned uh, earlier in the show when you were talking about how you had observed homeless people. I would hope that at some time you don't just observe, but you interact with them. Yeah, I'll try to do that. That's a true spirit of agape love. And if, if you're in downtown Salt Lake, um, I recommend you stop at its rescue mission. They do great Christian work there, and they serve the homeless, and it would be a great, uh, great thing for you to uh, stick your head in there and see what actually goes on in the front lines of dealing with Christianity. All right, my friend, I'll do it. Good, good point. We can always do more of that, can't we? Yes, we can. All right, my friend, thank you for the comment. Thank you, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to Gary in uh, Logan, Utah. Gary, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. I've got a question for you. Um, is, is there a difference be between being Christ christened and baptized? Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, baptism is a wonderful thing, and uh -huh. it's a commandment. You know, and to go and be baptized, and we do it as an outward indication of an inward faith. But you uh -huh. can be a Christian that has not experienced water baptism. The baptism that makes you a Christian is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's what okay. makes you a Christian. And that's what uh -huh. Jesus came to baptize with, uh, Gary. Uh -huh. And so when you're born again, that Holy Spirit makes a home in you. That then leads you to want to follow along and do other things like water baptism. But water baptism in and of itself does not make uh, the Christian any more that circumcision makes the Jew. Right. Does that help? It does. I, I was hoping I could make it down to you on Saturday and be baptized myself. That didn't quite work out. Well, we'll do, we'll do it another time. Great. Sounds good. And thank you so much for helping me find the truth. You're welcome. Thank you for watching, Gary. You bet. We'll God bless. Bye-bye. We're going to go to Bob in Boise, Idaho. Uh, Bob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how you doing? Doing well, Bob. How are you? Oh, real good. Boy, it's good to hear your voice. Um, you made reference to Hugh Nibley's daughter uh, several months ago. What do you know about her? Has she written a book or what's going on? I would love to know. Yeah, Martha Beck. And she wrote a book uh, maybe three or four years ago. Well, anyone know the name? Anyway, if you go online, you type in Martha Beck, you'll see her recent book, Martha Beck, Mormonism, book like that. Maybe someone can get it right now, and we'll put it up on the screen, Bob. But it's an excellent insight into what it was like living under the, uh, the thumb of Hugh Nibley, her father, who the LDS, you know, always hold up as this, this oh, wonderful yeah. scholar. Jo Joseph Goebbels, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, exactly. Bingo, bingo, all right. All right. That's what I wanted to know. I really wanted to know that because I love studying Mormonism and uh, you know other, uh, uh, to be polite, other groups that I don't agree with. But anyway, yeah. sir, I love your show. You're a musty clam. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I haven't I haven't heard that in a while. So I'm trying to get mustier. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and uh, I miss John O'Fallon. I really liked him. I really do. Well, John, if you're secretly watching still, why don't you give us a call? You have.
have an admirer, yeah. Even though he tr pra practically threatened to kill you, for some reason I thought he was a good guy. Sir, yeah. I love your show, and I'm going to let you go. Thanks, Bob. God bless. I, uh, thank you. I appreciate this. Okay, bye-bye. We got an email from Josh, and it says, How can I know I'm truly saved? I've prayed to God many times for years. I've always seemed to go back to my wicked ways. I am currently addicted to Oxycontin. I always go to God crying and broken, and I feel He has not saved me. I feel at one time that I was truly saved, and I was full of joy, and did nothing but read and listen to sermons, then returned to steroids and just regular life for myself. I feel as though He will not save me. Just want your thoughts. Well, Josh, my thoughts are these. I, 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 it wasn't your righteousness, Josh, that saved you. It was His. It was your faith that saved you, and so that faith hasn't left. You're still seeking him. You want him. You're, you're saved. The problem is, is you're weak in your flesh, and if you continue to be weak in your flesh, Scripture says you'll be destroyed, that you're, and, but saved in your spirit. So you, I believe you are saved, but you have some problems with your flesh. You're what they call a carnal Christian. I'm a carnal Christian at times, too. So, Josh, what's going to help you is to get into the Word. It's going to help you to uh, try to abide in the vine, abide in Christ, and, and love. And that means includes love yourself as Christ loved you, and to love others. And so, go f talk to your pastor. You might need professional help to get off the Oxycontin. Those things, you know, the word in the Greek for, uh, uh, for sorcery is pharmakeia. And uh, that, that means things like Oxycontin. And so you, you could be really disturbed by a lot of influences that are not good because of the addiction. So you're being really beaten up right now. Try to get fixed on those addictions and try to start getting back into the Word, praising God, devotion time in the morning, and in time you will start to then reconnect with God who you have left. He has not left you. Okay? Hope that helps. Let's see. We have something here. Oh, uh, Martha Beck's book is called Leaving the Saints, How I Lost the Mormons and Found My Faith. Okay, so uh, I am not endorsing Martha Beck's theology. I, I think if I recall, her theology is not in line with what I would agree with, but she certainly does uh, show uh, some great insights, and she's a really good writer about Hugh Nibley. Uh, James says, please to rethink in the message end. So, okay, I've done it. Uh, <laughs> Let's see here. Uh, this is from Rudy. What, what did someone do to Sean to create such hatred in his heart? To create an entire career not preaching his own beliefs but attacking those of others. What a sad way to live. I see all the constantly changing looks, the overdone steroid-driven muscles, the moosed-up hair. What a sad life you must live. You must have been kicked out for some terrible transgression. Your claims of bishopric, seminary teacher, high priest, it does not add up. I pray for your soul. We give these little samples just to see what is in the people's minds out there. Uh, you know, I want you to know that we talked about love tonight. And love cannot exist uh, where truth does not exist. Love doesn't exist where lies are. You know that? If you think you're in love with somebody and, you're, and, and this person is really everything you think, and then you come to find out he has been lying and deceiving and he doesn't have the bank account you thought and he's wearing false teeth and, and he's really a monkey in a, in a human suit. You didn't really love that person. That wasn't love. Love can only exist in truth. And that's why Jesus was God is love because he was also all truth. So 
you, you cannot love someone unless you share the truth with them. And you call it bitterness and all these other things and hatred. It's not hatred. We spend our time trying to show you, listen, this is, what, this is why you should be looking at the faith you're in. Because you're trapped, you're in bondage, and out of the love, I want you to understand that. And it comes across as hatred because I argue. But, you know, that's just the way it goes sometimes. But really, I believe, sincerely, it's motivated by love. We're going to Sam in Kanab, Utah, first-time caller and LDS. Sam from Kanab, you're on the air. You got to turn your yeah, hello. You got to turn your TV down, Sam. Okay. You're on uh, the air. Okay, tonight your subject was love and I just wanted to uh elaborate on LDS beliefs on love. Uh according to my studies, the definition of contemporary biblical love is to always reverence, remember and respect. And uh while I'm here, I'd also like to uh, talk about when you were talking to Jerry a few weeks back about how uh, about how Mormons don't believe or have always believed there has been prophets, which is completely erroneous because that's not that's false information, uh, and you need to check your facts before you start putting that uh, kind of information out about Mormon beliefs because well, you need to talk, actually... You need, then you need to talk to your missionaries, Sam, because when they do their, their discussion on prophets, that's directly from their conversation. No, no. They actually believe that the priesthood's authority was lost in the Dark Ages. I'm not talking about the Dark that, Ages. That is why it was it had to be restored to I was, I was the not talking, and hey, Sir Joseph Smith. I was not I'll, talking I'll about the Dark... I'll be glad to listen to your response off there. Thank you. Okay. I did not, was not talking about the Dark Ages. I know that the LDS believe that there was a Dark Ages, but I was talking about their belief. The missionaries go around and they show a picture of Thomas Monson and they say, God loves all of us. God has always talked into the world through prophets. Do you believe that God loved the people when he talked to Moses, the prophet? Yes, I do. Well, he loves us just as much today as he did then. He's always spoken to the prophets, and they quote Malachi. Uh, Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he reveals his will to his servants, the prophets. And then they say, we have a prophet on the earth today, like unto Moses. And Joseph Smith, the first prophet of the Restoration. What they don't include is that we went 400 years with silence heaven, no prophets which totally wipes out their argument using Malachi. So you're taking that wrong. I never said it was that they said during the Dark Ages there was prophets. I didn't. However, now that you've brought that up, let me also say that they completely ignore the idea of a remnant. God has always had a remnant people of truth that have existed through the ages. Peoples fall, cultures are destroyed, but he's always had a remnant which is what the LDS ignore when they use the uh, uh, argument of the Dark Ages losing everything. Okay, someone's going nuts over here. We've got Elvira. Uh, we've got someone I'm going to take really quickly here in Salt Lake City. Elvira, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, Sean. You, you have a lot of good works. I can see it. Good words or see, works? I can see that you have a lot of good works. Works? Yes, you have a lot of good works. You're, you... You care for people, you, you have sympathy when people call in, and that's a very good thing. Okay. But, but what I want to say to you is, you know, this ditching on Joseph Smith, it's just not right. Why not? Well, because, you know, Sean, 
when it all boils right down to it, that's where it's at, isn't it? That's where what's at? That's where the truth lies. Joseph Smith? Well, of course, he couldn't have made up that Book of Mormon. <laughs> hey, you know what? Do, a, do, do yourself a favor. Watch our seven-part series on the Book of Mormon. I think we did it in 2007. And, and then after you watch it, I, I invite you, Elvira. I love that name. I think it's because of that lady who was on TV when I was a kid watching it. That was a nice show. No, uh, but no, Elvira, call back if you've watched that, and then you tell me how Joseph Smith couldn't have made that up. Well, now, you know, Sean, the sad thing about it is to me is I look at you, and I think you're a nice man, and I, I happened on to your show, Yeah. and I just know you're going to make a fine servant angel. <laughs> servant angel? <laughs> because, you, you know, if you don't start believing in Joseph Smith, then what you will do is you'll make it to the set, the celestial, not the celestial, the, the second highest kingdom. I'm going to go to the terrestrial. Yeah. But, you know, you'll be a servant angel to us who do make it. <laughs> I love it. Elvira, that is great. Sean, you're going to be serving us great while we make those celestial babies. <laughs> and do other works for God. Elvira, great call. We've only got 30 seconds left, but please watch those shows and then call us back. Bye. Bye-bye. Can't pay for it. You could, I couldn't pay that. None of this is ever set up. We get accused of that. That's not set up. That's from someone who's really saying that. We don't know. I mean, they're saying it. I don't know who they are. But uh, listen, check in with us next week. We're going to continue on alphabetically. We're rounding up the year, and uh, uh, we're getting down to it. So uh, Heart of the Matter appreciates your viewership. We appreciate your emails, your insights, the information you give us, the things you teach me, and how you correct me when I make a mistake, the advice you give. We love you. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Mm -hmm.